When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tom Bernard Show with co-host Catherine Brandt, Andy Brandt Bernard, Dave Schrader, Mike Bellino, and the Hackmaster Ralph Tavashman, MD. Really great impression there, Catherine. Which is, did I sound like him? Yeah, a little bit. Oh, exactly. Really, <laughs> really, nailed exactly. it. <laughs> really phenomenal, I thought. We'll be right back. Kick things off. Hour two, Tom Bernard Show. Due to the billions of marketing dollars spent by Walzer Automotive on Tom Bernard Podcast, you hopefully know that Walzer sells cars. What you might not know is that they also have two full-service collision repair centers in the Twin Cities. They're fully certified by all insurance carriers and can help you navigate all the paperwork if you ever have an accident. But wait, there's more. They've also been in the paintless dent repair business for nearly 30 years and can take those pesky dings out for just a fraction of what traditional bodywork costs. Broken windshield? Walzer Collision is a fleet of full-service mobile glass repair trucks as well. Walzer are pros at body and glass repair, but don't take my word for it. They have an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and a nearly perfect 4.8 Google rating. Check them out at walzercollision.com. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt then talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. It's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? uh, Either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Love this song. Melina, what's with you today? You're playing a lot of my favorites. Is it because it's 40 degrees and sunny? Yep. Yep. It's exactly what it is. I understand. I understand completely. It's going to be 38 tomorrow. It's more clouds tomorrow, but still 38 degrees. So that's great. about 32 is wonderful. What's it yes. going to be on? That's uh, very true. What's it going to be on Saturday? I have to do the polar plunge on Saturday with the Minneapolis Fire Department. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. And Michael Bryant, right? Is he going to be there, too? I believe Michael Bryant's going to do it as well. I am unfamiliar, but I will definitely be there. And, uh, hey, we're, we're closing in on our goal of $3,000. We're only $2,500 short. <laughs> <laughs> that is closing. If what? People, yeah, I know. It's a little slow this time of year. Usually, uh, last year, we had almost five grand in donations. But if people are interested in uh, helping that. us with the uh, Special Olympics and helping us raise money and awareness, uh, all I have to do is go to darknessradio.com, darknessradio.com radio.com and scroll down to the 2018 polar plunge little banner they can click on it and make a donation any size donation will help uh but yeah we're trying to raise three thousand dollars my son who's a navy vet and a firefighter here in minneapolis does this every year and and i'm going to be jumping with him this year 
Does it count if you have a dry suit on? A dry suit? What is that? Yeah, like you don't get cold. Jump in the cold, cold waters. <laughs> it's like a scuba suit. It traps a, a layer dry. of air so I don't get I, I've cold. never heard of that. Yeah. I'm not an outdoorsman, Ralph. I, uh, I don't go. Oh, this is okay. going to be totally new for me. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Was, totally new or new? Nude. 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 Oh. I'm going to be totally oh, well, nude. I just good. figured Thank it's you. easier. It's easier to dry off that way right <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> I I, I have to question sanity doing that, jumping in that cold water. You yeah. know what? If it if it helps raise money and awareness for a great cause like Special Olympics, I have no problem doing that. Okay. I love doing charity work. So if I can help out and, and help the Minneapolis firefighters hit their mm-hmm. lofty goal, and it takes Darkness Dave to jump in in a bathing suit in frigid cold weather, I'm willing to put it out there. Careful. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Careful. Figuratively. Figuratively. <laughs> no, and literally. I'll be putting it out there, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, there won't be much left. So, Tom, can I can I mention oh, yeah. something to you here? You, because yeah, uh, I got something to do while you're doing it anyway. My wife, who uh, I, you guys are probably familiar with her, Cassie, she does a lot of the stuff for uh, your website stuff. She uh, she was telling me mm-hmm. you've got to watch Cassie, <laughs> Cassie Schrader. Yeah, you should. Uh, I'll introduce <laughs> you after the show. She she said, "Honey, you've got to watch this." Uh, special this uh, that i recorded she goes tom has played this audio a lot on his show and you know i do a true crime tuesday show every week so i, yes. I listen in and it's this thing and i've never heard this and i can't believe it after all the years of listening to kq i've never heard you play the audio of the weepy voiced killer oh don't talk just listen yeah I, it's one of the creepiest things is. i've ever heard so i did an episode today on on true crime tuesday regarding the weepy voiced killer and we talked to donald allen who was host <sighs> of that special and i've got to tell you i've done five years of true crime uh on our show and this the audio absolutely creeps me out to no end this guy would call in and for those of the listeners that don't know the story it took place right here in minnesota this guy was killing women between, at least what they know, 80 to 82. And yes. if the women were wearing red, those were his targets. Um, and he would he would do horrific things to them. And then he would call in in a remorseful way, crying, sobbing, begging to be stopped. And yep. his, his voice has got to be one of the most chilling things I've ever heard because it is just so, I mean, it's almost comical in, in a sense. But then when you realize in what sense, he's yes. talking about... You, it, it makes your blood run cold. And I, we did this episode today, and I get an email this morning, Tom, and it says, uh, I heard on your podcast you're doing the weepy voice killer. That was my uncle. Oh, yeah. Oh, He's called into my show, too. Yeah, and I said, well, I'd love to talk to you more about this because I'm surprised there's not more out there about this guy and what drove him to this. But what a creepy story. Are you familiar with this story, Ralph? No, not familiar, but it would make a great movie. This is. Oh, yeah. Oh, Molina, do you have any of the audio on this at all? Maybe we could pull it up. But I, in our interview today, we play the four or five phone calls from this guy. And I think one of the most chilling aspects of the story is not only was he brutally uh, bloodthirsty and a killer, but he, during the interview, makes some comment to the police. Um, yeah, well, it was kind of like uh, eating and breathing and drinking. Killing was just something I thought we did in life. And he just says it so flippantly and throwaway. And that, to me, those kind of killers are, are the most terrifying things I've ever heard. I mean, in his brain, he just did not see that that's, well, that's just not, I mean, that's just part of the life cycle. We live, we breed, we eat, we drink, and we murder. That's it. Yeah. That's exactly it. That all works out in the end, by the way. Oof. Um, I just checked your page. You've more than doubled since you brought that up, your polar plunge. Are we close to 1,000 now? 1077. All right. Hey, we're making the leap. Thank you very much for uh, doing making that. the big leap. Yeah, we went from 560-something. Yeah, I appreciate that. See? Huh? Yeah, it, was at, it, was five, it was 577, and now it's at 1077. So that's good. And and how do you do? How do you tell tell people how to do that again? For the polar plunge, all you need to do is go to darknessradio.com, my website, and scroll down. You'll see the little polar plunge 2018 banner. It's a little box banner. If you click it, you can just go in and, and make a donation there of any size one, five, ten, twenty, a thousand, whatever you want to do. But all that money goes to help the Special Olympics. It helps the athletes with travel expenses, uniforms, training. 
And uh, I've had a chance to participate when I was younger in a couple of uh, the Special Olympics. I was one of the, the trainers uh, in uh, Illinois for a couple of the cases. And I just had it, it's truly one of the most uh, rewarding moments to watch these athletes who are preparing for this get involved and be a part of it. And it's, it's fantastic. And this is the help they need. So by raising awareness, taking the polar plunge, jumping into ice cold frigid minnesota water in uh in february and march is uh is what we do and that's how you can make the donations right there on the website minneapolis fire department right yep yep i'm that's part of their where team all the money goes yeah well it goes to this fantastic it doesn't go to the fire department but it's part of their team so the money goes from the fire department's team to the special olympics wonderful yeah it's a great idea now whose name is on your on the on the page that's my son clifford my son, who's well, a so. yeah Navy veteran, and he's one of the Minneapolis Fire Department uh, specialists. Um, I've got a page as well, but I just my page is seventy five bucks, and I, I already paid that just to get in, so I can go jump with my son. But I want to raise it for him and the great work that the fire department does every year in, in helping this. Well, we'll keep an eye on it as the show goes on. Great, thank you. I appreciate See if it that. Keeps going up. It'll be eh, no problem. Michael Bryant's doing it. We we like that. It's Special Olympics. Yes, oh, fantastic. That. TV commercial oh. that they're running for the Special Olympics. Mm-hmm. The chances of that little baby born without lower legs. Right. Have you seen that TV commercial? I have not yet, no. Oh, man, is it phenomenal. Yeah, it really is. They talk about the chance of this baby ever uh, getting a, an Olympic gold medal. What were the odds again, Catherine? Oh, they were like, like 150 million yeah, to one or something? astronomical. And then when she actually crosses the line and wins uh, an Olympic gold medal in the Special Olympics... It's one-to-one, are the odds, by the time she gets to the bottom of the hill. It's fantastic. That is. I did It's, uh, it's really, really a great PSA. I was, when I was a teenager, uh, you know, I've, I've dealt with depression throughout my entire life, and I had a great mentor um, who was, you know, good at kind of helping me clear my head. And at one point he said, Schrader, you got to get out of your own head. Why don't you do something for somebody else instead of laying around feeling sorry for yourself? And he connected me with the Mark Lund's <laughs> children's home. That's nice. Well, and it is. Sometimes oh, you yeah. need that kick up the backside to remember that there's you there's do. a world outside you of you. Do. And and I went into the Mark Lund children's home in Illinois and uh, vo- became a volunteer, and had probably three of the most rewarding years of my life, um, helping and, and being a part of this. And I'll tell you, one of the kids uh, that won me over though was this little boy named Jude, and he um, had deformities. He was he was. He was in a cage, for lack of a better term. I mean, because he would always try to climb out of his crib and and hurt himself. So they had him in basically a a cage. And I remember when they first brought me in. And once you get past that initial image of of people that have deformities or challenges, Mm -hmm. and this little boy looked like a monster. And my heart stopped. I was nervous. I got flop sweat. And they brought me in, and she goes, oh, this is Jude. And he just shot me this glare at first and uh, she goes put your hand inside his crib so he can say hi and i remember just that feeling and i'm like oh my god and all of a sudden then there was this bridge of humanity that was like why am i so afraid this is ridiculous i put my hand in and this beautiful smile broke across his face and he just rubbed his face across my hand and then started singing hey jude to me and just brought tears to my eyes and he became just one of my favorite people on the planet and um uh, Ashok and a few of the other kids that were part of the the group there that became part of the Special Olympics. It was like I said, it was so rewarding to see this, and I got out of my mindset. And I'll tell you what, it wasn't oh, look at this, you know, look at these kids. My life is so much better. That that wasn't the alteration. And and the nurses put me on it straight. They they looked me in the eye, took me aside, and said, "Don't you ever feel sorry for these kids?" Because no, when you good. feel that, sorry for them, they said that's when they realize that they have an issue or that they're not like everyone right. else. Your job here is to make their lives happy, healthy, and fun, and you treat them like you would treat every other human on this planet, and don't let them be limited by their issues. And they did these things with love, and I watched kids that parents had discarded because they just didn't think that there was anything left in them that was human and and that's hard to say mm-hmm. but that's exactly what the explanations were i watched these kids flourish and blossom and walk children that had never walked would get up and walk to me and play and and communicate and when their parents would come they would fold into a, a circle and not speak and not move and the parents just didn't believe that that's what was going on but that's because that's what the parents expectations were 
you're this, and that's how they reverted to them. But when you treated these children with the love and respect, man, they would explode. And watching them out on the field and doing the, the sports was, uh, I can't even tell you how it altered parts of my brain and, and thinking going forward in life. It's what life should be all about right yeah. there. It should be just everybody. Yeah, that's that's a wonderful story. That's an absolutely fabulous. Thing. Oh, and that's the best I, thing. I, I, when you're when you're feeling down, get out of your mind. Go do something for other people, and and start to realize there's a whole part of life. And look at people that have had a much tougher part of life that are living, laughing, and enjoying. You you talk about the part of town you were you were raised in, Tom, and it wasn't the mm-hmm. wealthiest part of town, but people were happy, right? Because if you don't realize no, what you more. don't have. You make the best out of what you do have, and you have a good life. Well, a lot of them were happy because they were drunk. But Oh, there's that. <laughs> but, no, you're absolutely <laughs> right. As I said, I, I was a very, very lucky guy because the fathers in that neighborhood were very helpful to me, and they supported one another. A lot of people in that neighborhood supported one another's families. It was, it was phenomenal. Yeah. And people don't know that's what's going on, and that's why it angers me, and that's why Mike Lindell and I have been you know, talking about getting this thing done this summer, uh, going into North Minneapolis and actually doing something. Because since I was a little kid, I've been hearing all these politicians, city politicians and county politicians and state politicians, we're going to go into North Minneapolis and we're going to really help you out. It's going to be unbelievable. Never happened. Hasn't happened my whole life. So it might be time. There are some great people there. There's a minister at one of the churches on uh, Plymouth and Logan. She's just wonderful. She's about five feet tall even, but I don't think I'd want to fight her, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I think she's pretty tough. That's what life is all about. Life is not all about, oh, your thoughts and prayers, that's all you're going to send him? Be happy that he's going to send his thoughts and prayers. That's all you can really do on Twitter or Facebook. Good God, just yeah. be happy for them. I mean, like, what's he going to do? I'll send you a check. Yeah, that's what I'd like to do. You see this Twitter check that I just sent you? <laughs> and a $1.5 million dollar Ferrari. One and a half million dollar Ferrari, yeah, that's the other thing you could really do for him because that's it's so nice. That's just wonderful that we got all that uh, that whole deal going. How this much does it cost to fix a one hundred percent occlusion of the LAD artery? Not that much, right? What? Okay, uh, Ralph apparently is talking to you. What? Because I have <laughs> well, no idea what the it's, hell he's talking it's, about. Is going to be a bypass or, or internal mammary uh, bypass or uh, a bypass of the vessel? Yeah, it's going to be. It'll be well, but I mean, 20, for a, the a celebrity. 000. Oh, I don't, yeah. So I don't Kevin know. Smith yeah. could afford it, I'm sure. Oh yeah, he's got it. He's got it. He's and covered. it's you know, once it's fixed, it's pretty much fixed, except for the behaviors that got him there. But you that's know, right. That's and persistent disease. Not something you can. Are they replacing just it, fix. or did they just put a stent in? It, oh, it depends. They, sometimes they'll stent it, but if he has to have open heart surgery, they're going to be doing some sort of a bypass, and, and, may, and it may not initially be. You know, they sometimes they'll do. Some of the newer endoscopic surgeries uh, that uh, don't require as much uh, recovery. I mean, they also do yeah. internal mammary uh, uh, artery uh, bypasses as well. So there's a lot of choices, you know, and that's whatever the cardiac surgeon can do best and will do best for him. At 100% occlusion, though, uh, oh, yeah, that's not, it's not good. No. So probably a bypass. Yep. Yeah, probably true. We'll be right back, right up to this Tom Bernard Show. I'm Brad Huckle, president of North American Banking Company. Ask one of our bankers what they love about business banking. They always say the relationship with a client. Case in point, True North Oral Surgery and Implants is a longtime customer with a growing practice. Their banker, Julie Marshall, knows the ins and outs of what they do. So when they need working capital, an equipment loan, or funds for expansion, they call Julie. Are you looking for a banker you can count on? Give us a call. This is Tom. Why not bank with my banker? North American Banking Company, a better banking experience. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. This is Tom, and I've been telling you how easy it has been for me to lose weight on the Nutramost weight loss plan. My goal has been to lose 92.5 pounds. Well, I've started up another round at the new Nutramost Plymouth location, and I can't wait to shed those extra unwanted pounds. Nutramost is unlike any other weight loss program. It's just so easy, and they guarantee that you will lose 20 pounds or more in just 40 days. There's no exercise, shots, drugs, prepackaged food, and I'm never hungry. The team at Nutramost in Plymouth will support you every step of the way on your wellness and weight loss journey. Then, after you hit your goal, Nutramost in Plymouth is there for you with the Nutramost Forever Plan, an all-inclusive wellness program that improves and promotes healthy living and choices. Nutramost has helped me change my life, and I know they can help you too. Nutramost Plymouth, located just off Highway 55 and 494. 
Call 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. I can't I'm singing like there's no tomorrow. Um, Good old Flo and Eddie. Oh, whoops, you're not on there. You sorry, go. you were out of the. Yeah, I was, I was so turned I turned off. you off. Sorry. Way to go, Andy. How do you drown in a bathtub? You not in, not an infant, but a full grown person. Don't be sneaking peeks over at no, my I, screen I saw here. that I saw that story earlier today. That Bollywood actor. Bollywood actress drinking, that falling be, asleep, yeah. under, yeah. All you need is to uh-huh. accidentally gasp in one lung full of air, and that oh, can yeah. do it for you, right? Mm-hmm. Or go really? to a bar with Heather Locklear. <laughs> she just beat the hell out of you. She beat you to death, though. Well, well, when you fall asleep, you're supposed to. There's a reflex that, you know, yeah. you hold your breath and you get out of the water. So well, in that case, it's almost always either something like benzos or booze. Didn't Whitney Houston uh, drown and didn't her daughter yep. drown? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but that might be a little different. You know, you think she was nefarious? Dun, dun, dun. Nefarious. Uh, nefarious. I like nefarious. Uh, let's see. You know, I think that's and that's insinuation and that's what everybody's questioning. Oh, this happened in Dubai yeah, and what true. was going on and blah 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 some yeah. Heart disease and cocaine use listed as just contributing factors. Well, so they already? think she had a heart heart attack. So wow. she, how old was she? Uh, uh, forty eight. Oh really? Forty eight with the heart attack and then she drowns in the tub. Yeah, you breathe in one lung full of water, you're done. They're, right, Ralph? There's nothing. Yeah, well, good. It, well, it, it, it gets you on your way, but you know yeah. you, you can yeah. cough some of that up. But what's really scary is the dry drowning. That is what terrifies the hell out of me. Have you heard about this? Dry drowning. When you breathe in chlorinated water, you can expel it. But the chlorine then hardens the inner layer of your lungs, which causes you basically to suffocate. It's called dry drowning. I know you're giving me a dirty look on this, but it's terrifying. So when your kids jump in the pool and you think, okay, they took a snoot full and they coughed it all out, we're safe. As it's actually drying in the lungs, it's constricting that membrane inside, or it's drying out that membrane in the lungs and can cause... Suffocation. Go ahead, Google it. It's not good. The more you learn. The more you learn. It's right. very rare, though, isn't it? No. Well, Extremely, yeah. No, it's not that. Wife syndrome. Yeah, it, it's not that rare. They, they, there's warnings about it every year, but dry drowning is is terrifying. And it's it's a big issue that a lot of people don't pay any attention to. So you have pulmonary sclerosis. Yeah, the, the bold, so you lose the elasticity of your lungs. Right. Yeah, and it's because of the high content level of the chlorinated water, the the chemicals. It says, in cases of dry drowning, the water triggers a spasm in the airway, causing it to close up and impact breathing. Unlike dry drowning, delayed or secondary drowning occurs when swimmers have taken water into their lungs. The water builds up over time, eventually causing breathing difficulties. Uh, But there's different versions. They they were talking about the chemical actually stripping that that thin membrane. it It causes bronchoconstriction. And uh, alveolar constriction, mm-hmm. then you can't breathe. You right. can't get the air in. The tubes are too small, and when you, and when that happens, when you when your muscles, particularly when you're young, when you take a deep breath and you try to get the air in, it creates a pressure differential and sucks your bodily fluids into your alveoli, and that's the or your breathing spaces, and that's where that's coming from. You know, but you, it, it you know, I I don't know. I can see that it can cause uh, bronch, uh, bronchospasm. I, I don't know that the the uh, sodium hypochlorite that's in the pool water would do would really permanently scar your lungs. I so if they so went I, in I see too the mechanism though, yeah. quickly, too quickly after they shocked the pool, which a lot of people somehow don't know that you're not supposed to swim in a pool immediately after uh, you uh, shock uh, it. That's well, right. That's right. Yeah, that, so that's it. yeah. That's when you could see it. Yeah. Yeah. It says, from the American Osteopathic Association, it says dry and secondary drowning. The signs every parent needs to know. Most parents think the risk of drowning ends when their child exits the pool or reaches the shoreline. However, danger can linger even after a child's swim time is over. Although rare, dry and secondary drowning incidents may occur anytime up to 24 hours later. Ah, oh, boy, I really have to. So there if must your be other kid chemicals. swallows yeah. water, you go right to the hospital and wait? 
Uh, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I guess, too. yeah. <laughs> what are the warning signs? I mean, it says, while symptoms of dry drowning typically occur right after a water incident, secondary drowning symptoms can appear hours after a near-drowning experience. If your child has recently had a near-drowning experience or inhaled a large amount of water, Dr. Mitchell suggests watching them for following signs. Troubled breathing, coughing, sleepiness, or a drop in energy level, irritability, chest pain, and vomiting. Be attentive to those sudden changes in behavior, advises Dr. Mitchell. Many parents don't recognize these signs of delayed drowning because they believe their child is fatigued from a long day of swimming or exhausted from nearly drowning. While symptoms are mild and improve over time, it is uh, important to have your child examined as a precautionary measure. Uh, try dr- mm-hmm. Treat dry or secondary drowning as a medical emergency. If you or someone you know starts exhibiting these signs, go immediately to the hospital. Hmm. Wow. So what's the incident? Do you think it? some kids are faking it so they, so they don't have to listen to Ed Sheeran sing? Oh, God. <laughs> Just a, my God. I'm so sad. Oh, God. I'm surprised I'm not dead from dry drowning. Yeah, really. How did we all survive childhood, <laughs> Tom and, and Catherine? I don't know. I have no idea how I survived childhood. It's true. I have no idea. You know... A lot of people get all mad at the Russians, whereas I kind of look at the Russians and say, you know, these people drink way too much, (laughs) they have way too much fun, and they love to poke the bear. This is uh, from Newser today, 1045 in the morning. Sharp-eyed viewers of a Russian media report on the Syrian war spotted a gaffe. Channel One mixed in an image from a video game with actual war footage. (laughs) (laughs) They tried to make it look worse by mixing in video game footage. Why not? You can see for yourself at 4.59 mark of this YouTube video per Popular Mechanics. It seems an editor at the Russian outlet grabbed a clip from the first-person shooter game Arma 3 made by Bohemia Interactive. Catherine. My people. Reports the BBC, it didn't take long for users of Russia's version of Reddit, Peekaboo, to call out the mistake. And the uh, channel offered a mea culpa. The use of this frame was a mistake by the video editing director. You're lying. You tried to make it look like it was worse than it was. Yeah, no, you would know if you were exactly. mixing in footage from a video game. Well, it's, it's, I mean, Arma 3 isn't even like, you know, that great looking of a game. But what's the difference between using stock footage, which they do all the time? They do all the when time, When they don't yes. have a photographer out in the field, they just use no, stock footage. They're not footage. supposed to do that either. Well, they do. One reason the gaffe is drawing attention is that it comes about three months after the Russian Defense Ministry released irrefutable proof that the U.S. was providing assistance to the Islamic State. The only problem was some of the imagery that came from the game AC-130 Gunship Simulator Special Ops Squadron. Wow. Oh, they were. Oh, this was proof. Oh, that's different. That's different. They try to make the United States look bad by using video game footage. That is unbelievable. Love them. Yeah. Well, that. well, that's why step one in every uh, totalitarian regime is make it illegal to question things that come out of the regime. <laughs> that's true. That's very, very true. Uh, yeah, you don't want to question anybody. Yeah, and whereas in the United States, we have a new rule. You have to question everything. Yeah, even if it's something you were there for. Yeah. If you were there in the room and you know it didn't happen, sorry, but... Uh, yeah, well... You know, it is unbelievable. You know, the same thing going on in China. Xi Jinping is, is, is going to, they're going to eliminate term limits for their for the president. He's becoming the emperor. Uh, and there's a huge uh, yeah. outcry there. And they're just going through and they're just trying to get rid of stuff as fast as they can. All the Winnie the Pooh kind of thing. Because he looks like he's got the body habit as a Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> he put a picture of Winnie the Pooh <laughs> just, just because it looks like him. So, oh, how did China get the way it is? Because it's not, I mean, money. It's kind of becoming like, you know, Legion of money. Robots world. But money, because. They don't let them. Well, yeah, I suppose there's that. You know, they, they, they've, they've allowed that, uh, the capitalism to sort of run free. And now they got all this cash there and all these people with lots of cash, lots of corruption. And yeah, it's just, uh, that, that's why it's like that. That's why they're, and they want to keep it that way. So they're going to just get a little communism and just keep that money flowing. If we have a choice between money and freedom, we'll take the money. Yeah, that's exactly. Well, yeah, that's, that's how true. the world's gotten. People and their love of money, it's just gotten so disgusting. Yeah. They will do anything for money. Anything. I, it's that's just, true. Uh, so email me, know. Dave, at darknessradio.com with your proposals. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> make sure that you get that done. Do it today, in other words. 
Gathered for the first time, Lee Daniels, Barry Jenkins, Jordan Peele, and John Singleton break down the politics of who can tell what story, the doors that didn't open, and the game-changing impact of Black Panther. It almost feels... Oh, God. It almost feels like, are black people going to go see white people's movies now that we have our own? Why would you even bring that up? What what is the purpose of bringing that up? Well, you know, once... um Sweet Sweetback's badass song came out. That's right. Black people stopped watching white movies. You're damn right. <laughs> JR's Revenge, where there was an actual black guy that was uh, he was uh, possessed by the devil. It, it, it didn't quite match up to The Exorcist, but it was a pretty good version of it. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> in late January, Jordan Peele became just the fourth African-American filmmaker in the 90-year history of the Academy Awards to be nominated for Best Director. The 39-year-old behind Get Out follows John Singleton, who in 1992 was the category's youngest ever nominee at 24 when he was recognized for directing Boys in the Hood. Now, Boys in the Hood was a hell of a good movie. Yeah, uh, Get Out is a complete ripoff of, of another movie. Along with Lee Daniels, now 58, Precious, uh, 2009, and Barry Jenkins, 38, Moonlight, 2016. Did you ever see Moonlight? No. One of the worst movies ever Which made. Which one is that? Uh, it came out about, I, I, it came out two, two years ago, and it was about, I, I can't even remember, though. It was so horrible. Let's see here. I think it had to do with blackness and gayness and all kinds. They, they tried to get every oh, possible yeah, subject. Oh, that involved. was about the drug dealer. Drug dealers yeah. were in it, yeah. It was... And all black cast and an LGBT, so it was basically just like, yeah. look at how woke we are. Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. not good. If this elite group were expanded to include all black directors, it would add only Britain's Stephen McQueen, who earned his nomination in 2014 for helming 12 Years a Slave. None of these prior nominees ultimately took home the Oscar. With the March 4th ceremony looming, the racial makeup of the Academy and the industry at large under increased scrutiny, THR gathered the quartet for a candid conversation about how success can feel like failure, the door's Black Panther is opened, and why not one of these guys was able to enjoy this big night. Because not everybody wins. I'm sorry. I think Boys in the Hood was a good movie. Was it an Oscar best movie worthy? I don't think so. It was really good. Uh, I never saw Precious. I did see Moonlight, which was horrendous. I did not see 12 Years a Slave either, so I can't judge those movies. That was really good. 12 Years a Slave was really good. Yes, it was really good. Yeah, so, I mean, it'll happen. Not everything is based on race. I I just, when is this, when is it all going to come to an end, do you think? you think it'll ever come to an end? No. It's programmed into humans. It it is, and it's human. Once we evolve past it in another 500,000 years or so. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I just think put out good product. And first of all, i got to be honest with you. Uh, all these awards and, hey, you won the Oscar and you won this. You, who gives a rat's ass? And I, and I, I caught a lot of heat because of the, the radio, National Radio Hall of Fame. Because when they first nominated me three years ago, I said, who cares? Whatever. Now, they put me in, and once they put you in, then you got to go down and do it. And it's an honor, yes, and I understand that. But would my life have changed? Has my life changed for the better since I was named to the Hall of Fame? No. You know, it hasn't made it worse. It hasn't made it any better. It's just an award. People just love getting awards, don't they? Yeah. They love, yes. Love the little statues. I mean, the whole thing. Little trophies. Who cares? I mean, I've seen some movies... God, what was that one year where the worst movie ever made won the Oscar over like three or four really good movies? Almost it was about, all of them? Yeah, almost all of them. This is about ten years ago. So I wouldn't base all of your judgment on, on race. Barriers and battling nerves, the whole situation. It just, winning an award, winning an Oscar, who, so what? Uh, who won Best Actor last year? And don't look it up. Who won Best Actor? Who won Best Actress? No clue. What well, best, best actress was Emma Stone, and they screwed it up at the end. Oh, that's oh, right. that, yeah. And the only reason you remembered it up, remembered it, is because they screwed it up, right? Yeah. But is that the one I where mean, Warren Beatty stuff had the had the uh, the card and knew that it was wrong? He yeah. and Faye Dunaway, right? Yep. I think so. I think that's exactly right. Now, all I can remember is, uh, and I'm very serious about this. Oscars that I can remember were uh, Marlon Brando. And George C. Scott. And you know why I remember them winning the Oscar? Because they didn't bother to show up to pick it up. (laughs) (laughs) Neither one of them showed up to get it. That's why I remember who won the Oscar that year. Because George C. Scott thought it was stupid. 
and Marlon Brando sent Princess Littlefeather. Is it true that Princess Littlefeather wasn't really a Native American? <laughs> or she wasn't really... I wouldn't doubt it. There is a rumor out there that she wasn't even Native American, and she certainly wasn't Princess Littlefeather. <laughs> uh, let's see. She is... Well, it says her father's side is Apache, Yaqui, and Pueblo. Okay, so uh, she really was Native Well, her American. mother is French, German, and Dutch. Okay, was she really a Princess Littlefeather? I really don't think so. Yeah, that's what they say. Is that they Marlon just made it up to piss everybody off, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, Which no, she much. was not a princess or anything. Look, if we're going to start getting in arguments about who wins the Oscar, I'm out, because who cares? Right. Either you liked the movie or you didn't. You made a good movie or you didn't. So, Kristen, don't bother calling in the next nah. week. <laughs> yeah, Kristen, you're out. Sorry. We'll be back, Tom Bernard Show. Tom Bernard here. If you're ready to sell your home, you've probably heard that you should wait until spring. But why wait for temperatures to rise when the market is hot right now? Not selling in winter is a total myth. Truth is, buyers are hungry. And while other sellers and real estate agents hibernate, the Chris Lindahl team is selling homes like hotcakes. Chris has done a great job. We have our house on the market with Chris right now, as a matter of fact. And the video he did is amazing. The Chris Lindahl team is America's number one REMAX results team for a reason. They play to win. And they've got the skilled players to sell your home fast. In fact, they sell a home on average every nine hours for over the MLS average. Don't wait until spring to sell your home. Call the Chris Lindahl team at 763-401-SOLD. That's 763-401-SOLD. The first two callers will get a free staging package. This is a huge value, and it's only going to the first two Tom Bernard Show callers from this ad. That's 763-401-SOLD. Call now, get the free staging package, and grab the opportunity before winter is over. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. When you call Sabre for service, you'll get a certified technician that's an expert at diagnosing, repairing, and installing heating and air conditioning equipment. Sabre Techs give you the service you need, not the other stuff that you don't need. When you combine that with Sabre's A rating for customer service and the best equipment from Bryant, you get exactly what you need. So make the call to Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning today. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. It's a good song right there. Are any of you guys going to watch the Oscars on Sunday night? Nope. Nope. I do not have the means or the motivation. Means or motivation. I sometimes watch about 15 minutes of it I before I get sick years. of it. I have not seen him in years. What? It just gets to be too much. It's far too political for me now. And, and, and Kristen said that they lengthened it now, right? Four it's and a half hours. Long. Yeah, I just can't. Yeah, no. why? Because We're living in a generation have... where the single most popular medium of anyone who is under the age of like 20 right now when they were growing up was Vine. Which is six true. second long clips. That's very true. Four and a half hours is quite far, uh, far removed I from think Vine. It's because the uh, actors have to get in their political speeches yeah, and they're ranting so. and raving. The speeches need to. I mean, yeah. like, n- have you ever heard after the Oscars someone is like, you got to hear the speech that you know this one actor did when they accepted their reward. It's like maybe one out of yeah. however many 50 or whatever speeches. Probably. They're just a waste of time no one cares about. So cut all that. You got like a one-hour thing. People will watch that. I believe the first one ran 11 minutes. The first Oscars uh, presentation ran 11 minutes. Was that just Oscar? I think he just showed up at some bar oh, I'm and Oscar. had dinner. And said, Apparently the Oscar uh, awards went a couple of minutes and then they ate dinner and that took about an hour and a half. That sounds about and right. That was it. Let me know when Leslie's ready to go, would you please? Uh, she's good to go. Leslie Visser, how are you? Well, I hope that I missed the part where you talked about Atticus Finch. Oh, I love Atticus Finch. movie role ever. Yeah, I love Atticus Finch, as a matter of fact. And now, of course, schools all across America will not allow their students to read the book. What, what do you mean you're not allowed? That's they, like a, they removed it from the libraries. Seriously, like when, when I... Uh, I'm, I'm a native Bostonian and, you know, love that dirty water. Like, they had books, I, mm-hmm. I think the Scarlet Letter they removed from libraries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, late, the latest two were um, To Kill a Mockingbird and I Huckleberry think Finn. the other one was by F. Scott Fisher. Huckleberry Finn, that's exactly right. Well, oh, yeah, because it has the N word in it. Yep, Huck is banned now. No, Huckleberry Finn. And I believe they've taken almost all of F. Scott Fitzgerald out. 
because he uh, dropped the n bomb a few times in, in his books as well. So I, well, they I'm probably left in some. So I don't mind. You know, I think I really think you know how the world comes down to vanilla and chocolate. I think it comes yes. down to either Hemingway or Fitzgerald, and I'm a Hemingway girl. See, now you and I will be arguing the entire 15 minutes. Way to go, <laughs> Leslie. Fitzgerald is Paul Castronovo. We haven't even gotten to Paul Castronovo. We had Catherine and I had dinner with Paul uh, about what was that two weeks ago? Yeah. I we told Paul Castronovo. Ridiculous, because you don't want to bring your mouth back around for Castronovo. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie, we did. As a matter of fact, I, uh, you know, what's great. It's talking to you and talking to Michelle Tafoya. I, I get the feeling that you're both like just tolerant of me and that's about it. <laughs> we both you. love you, but yes, we are old friends and your name does come up. <laughs> and your name does come up. Well, that's great news, Leslie. That's really, really great news. It's sort of hit and uh, move on. Hit and move on. Um, well, you spend you spend some time in the uh, in the Miami area, so listen to Paul Castronovo. I, I would assume once in a while. Well, you know, you're both. I mean, what I know of both of you is I could see that you guys would be friends for decades. I mean, I know you're Mr. Marconi. He probably is too, but uh, he's so yeah, popular. He I think I think Paul is the Tom of Miami. Oh God, don't tell him that. <laughs> I should be the okay. <laughs> Yeah, see, I could never tell them. Now we had a wonderful time. Actually, as you've uh, you're on your book tour, uh, Leslie Visser has written a book called "Sometimes You Have to Cross When It Says Don't Walk: A Memoir of Breaking Barriers." So you've been on, you've been on a, a very long radio tour, anyway. I assume that night we were uh, we had dinner with Bob Rivers, who was the number one morning guy in Seattle, Brother Wheeze, who's the number one morning guy in Rochester, New York, Paul Castronovo, uh, and I. Uh, our our lovely wives were were there. Except for Paul's wife was sick, but I don't know if she was sick of him or sick of me. She was sick of something. A little of both, perhaps. <laughs> you know what, but I, think the, I bet the pictures were the four guys together, you know, like in seventh grade at the at the yep. got it. I, Yeah, <laughs> they did think it. the four guys were together and the wives were somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, Pretty close, huh? Oh, got it. Yeah, oh, it's very, very close, Leslie. It was very, very close. But we went uh, went to a nice a nice dinner, had a great time. Everybody was oh, telling these guys tell their radio stories from the past year, oh, several decades actually was. We did figure out that the four of us together combined have been doing radio for 171 years. <laughs> oh God, that's that's past Edison. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Leslie. No, it's there all of us go. combined, not just one of us. All oh, of us combined, oh, oh. not just one of us. <laughs> but you, now, speaking of that, by the way, you, not being old, I'm just talking about uh, as time goes by, you changed television forever. Do you get credit for that? Uh, I finally learned to embrace it. Thank you for asking. And I've made peace with my hair, which was really a big thing, because uh, I wanted to call my, No, no, you have no idea. Uh, uh, well, you know. Uh, it, I wanted to call my book Haranoia, which I thought was so, <laughs> so I finally made peace with it, you know, and it all lives on Google, all my 19 hairdos. But um, I started so as a writer with the Boston Globe. I still imagine myself as a writer. It was a fabulous sports section, as you know. Every, every single person was the best at his position. It was Peter Gammons on baseball, Bob Ryan on basketball, Bud Collins on tennis. So, I mean, you just didn't take the floor unless, Will McDonough on football, you didn't take the floor unless you had something interesting, clever, or original to say. God, it's so amazing. You told your mother when you were 11 years old you wanted to be a sports writer, and she said that job doesn't exist for women. Which she, she was did. right. She was right. It, your mother was absolutely right. But you changed all of that. Well, she was brilliant with me because instead of dissuading me, she said, and when I said I, I want to be a sports writer, you know, I'd started reading. I mean, we all read Sport and Smith, but, you know, I'd started reading Sports Illustrated. We lived in Cincinnati and Sandy Koufax. And um, oh, so instead of dissuading me, she said, that's great. Sometimes you have to cross when it says don't walk. I love that. It was great. Yeah, it gave uh, me permission. It is. It was wonderful. At first, I have to imagine it was not much like talking to 
Castronova or me, it wasn't that easy at first. No, you know, I mean, things, uh, I'm not going to laugh about it anymore, but I used to tell the anecdote yeah. about how there were no ladies' rooms because I was the first woman. And then, did you see the movie Hidden Figures? Yep. Yes. Well, remember that scene where Kevin Costner says, I don't think it's Octavia Spencer, I think it's one of the others, and he says, where do you go every day? And she said, well, I go to the restroom. And he makes a face, and he says, huh, for 40 minutes? And she said, yes, the colored bathroom is a half a mile away. And that was my life. Yeah. I mean, that was my life. There, yeah. were, there were no ladies' rooms in press boxes because there were no women. So I used to have to plan it, you know? How can I get down the press elevator across the field to the one public restroom before the team punch? So I used to, so like, amazing. tell that as an anecdote. But then when I saw that movie, I said, wow, that mm -hmm. was kind of hard. Yeah, that was very, very hard, as a matter of fact. And I got to believe that not all guys were all that happy about you being there. Uh, I had the blessing of the people from the Globe were great to me, and they all were such Wonderful. legends themselves. Uh, so they were great to me. And, um, you know, the players, of course, the players, I mean, Michelle, anybody will tell you this. I mean, it's sort of a player's DNA to hit on you. But... Um, I had the backing of the Globe, and the Globe was a very big, muscular, powerful sports section. Mm -hmm. And because I had them behind me, I could, yeah, I took a lot of, uh, you know, no one teaches you how to be humiliated. <laughs> it's the one course so, you can't take point. in college, right? Yeah. That's a very good point, actually. I don't think people even think about that. But, yeah, being humiliated is very uncomfortable. That would be nice if somebody taught you how to feel, once you're humiliated, how to get past the, yeah. the horrible feeling of being humiliated. Yeah, and I used to say to myself, wow, I want to represent the globe. I want to represent the Visser name, the family. I know that I'm the first woman, uh, and so I'll save it for when I'm back in the hotel room by myself. But it really makes you go cold, you know. When, I can remember mm -hmm. the first question I ever asked of the Patriots coach at the time was a guy, Chuck Fairbanks. Do you remember him at all? He, sure. He, Abs I think he absolutely. played for Switzer or maybe uh, went, went to Oklahoma. But, you know, he was really like a glinty-eyed uh, guy from the Midwest. And the very first question I said, I was so proud of myself, right? I'm on the Patriots beat. And I said, uh, <laughs> asked him about one of his linemen. And the first thing he ever said to me was, why don't you call my daughter to go to lunch? You're about the same age. <laughs> <laughs> so I was mortified. Wow. I was mortified. But <laughs> I know, I know. And I was just like, what? But, um, yeah, so anyway, nobody teaches you how to be humiliated. But uh, I had, I tried to use humor as a default mechanism. I guess that worked for me. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But... Yeah, yeah you the, and Michelle both, actually. Yes, and she, I mean, remember the very first time you were on with her, didn't you <laughs> say something to her? Oh, yes. She could, yeah. Yes, I did. She tells that story and she, she could have gone either way, but she just laughed. She laughed and laughed and laughed, and I thought, that this is a woman. Well, I tell you what, uh, we can't get into it too much here, but you know who Joel McHale is, the actor, sure. you know, TV show guy. He, he has a, the Joel McHale show now. It just started on, on Netflix. And he said something to Michelle this morning on, on, on the morning show you were on with us that she, she handled it so well it was unbelievable. It Very quickly, and I can't really, because Leslie, you know, I've talked to you, but I don't, I don't know you well enough to, uh, but uh, we're talking about Afrikaan, which is the language of South Africa. And the word for children or child or young girl in Afrikaan is a filthy word in English. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean the same thing. It just means child, but it's a filthy word. And I asked Joel about that, and he said the word, and Michelle went, oh, oh. <laughs> well, I but then a, I she just bounced right back. Oh, she bounced. Yeah, she's so smart. But um, Visser, many of my relatives are buried in South Africa. My father is from Amsterdam. It's a very common Dutch name. Uh, it means fisherman, Visser. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yes, Afrikaans, so I'm quite familiar with it. And uh, you know how we, I don't know if you have any regrets, but one of my regrets in my life is that I have never been to Robben Island. I've met Mr. Mandela. I, I met him once, and he, God, he did have an aura about him. 
but I never mm-hmm. went to see that cell where, I mean, how do you spend 24 years in a cell and you don't come out bitter? It's like me being in radio all these years. How am I not bitter? <laughs> you are. <laughs> well, you know what? Even tougher deal. I thought, I thought for about five times that you were tired. Like the, people would ask me about you and I'd say, oh, he retired. And then all of a sudden there you are again. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Leslie. It's very nice of you. Very nice of you to bring that up. Any day now. I gotta. I, I have to read something to someone from your bio. We're talking to Leslie Visser about sometimes you have to cross when it says don't walk, a memoir of breaking barriers. How old were you when you started, Leslie? Uh, I think I was 19. I was like a sophomore at Boston College, and I won a Carnegie Foundation grant that entitled me to go anywhere. Maybe I was 20, and of course I went to the Globe, uh, and the Carnegie Corporation paid the stipend. I mean, people don't know that Andrew Carnegie was one of our great philanthropists in this country. I mean, you know, he before was, the yes. gates of the world, he, I think he founded about 2,000 libraries in the United States. How did it feel when you, as, at 19 or 20 years old, looked at your credential and it said right on the credential, no women or children in the press box? That had to be a little yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah, that was pretty diminishing. That was pretty diminishing. <laughs> uh, but I really, I, I don't know how millennials feel now, but... I just had such an attitude of gratitude. I said, I, really, I cannot yeah. believe that I am going to cover the, the New England Patriots. They had moved on. You know, they were a joke as the Boston Patriots. That's when they played at Harvard and BU and Boston College and Fenway Park. But they finally got a stadium. They were the New England Patriots. And I just, I was astonished that I was going to be covering them as a beat. So I looked at them more as a challenge than a hurdle you know it it wasn't in me to be angry at that time it was only in me to have gratitude well since you've done this to me i'm going to do it to you now you talked when last time about being in the national radio hall of fame and the marconi and all that stuff leslie visser is the first and only woman in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the only female sportscaster to have carried the Olympic torch, the only woman to have presented the championship Lombardi trophy at the Super Bowl, and the first woman on the network broadcast of the Final Four, Super Bowl, and NBA Finals. You're, you're pretty special, Leslie. <laughs> or as uh, Michelle said, you took all the first. <laughs> yeah, she can't. She can't do a damn thing because you took them all, Leslie. It's, a, it's but, always a. But I will. Uh, but I will tell you quickly. Uh, at the, I uh, went in a great class of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It was Troy Aikman, the late great Reggie White, and all I remember is Michael Irvin had gone, of course, for Troy, and people were knocking me down to get to Michael Irvin, and I was like, "This is my year, Michael." <laughs> You're a joy to talk to, and one of these days I'm going to reach out to Paul, and then Paul will reach out. We'll reach out to, to the three of us, and then we'll get together with our spouses, and we'll have dinner, and I just want to hear the stories. That's all I want to hear, the stories. Oh, God, me too. You're on, and uh, we'll call Michelle. All right, my dear. Thank you. Deal. Thank you, Tom. Bye, hon. Leslie Visser, ladies and gentlemen. Bye. You know how, what an honor it is for a legend like her to even know who the hell I am? See, that's what's so great about this job. That woman is a legend. She broke down so many doors sure did. for broadcasters, for sportscasters. Leslie was a tough woman from Boston, but she's just as sweet a human being as you'd ever want to meet. Leslie Visser, the book is called Sometimes You Have to Cross When It Says Don't Walk, a memoir of breaking barriers. We'll be back. Tom Bernard Show.